0: If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends.
1: Welcome to the Tales from the Planth podcast, where we will explore the notorious It Depends phrase through interesting and in depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice.
2: Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to
1: Tales from from the the Planth podcast.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to week six of Tales from the Plinth. This week we are happy to have our guest Chris Pike, a 2019 Gannon graduate, share his tale with us. Hope you guys enjoy.
2: All right, well welcome back to Tales from the Plinth. Today we have Chris Pike with us. Can you say hi to the listeners?
3: Hey everyone, how's it going today?
2: (laughs) All right, so we're happy to have you. Um, Can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah. So my name is Chris Pike. I graduated from Gannon University with my doctorate in physical therapy in 19. I also got my master's in exercise science in 2016 and I got my undergrad in exercise science in 2015. I currently work in an outpatient orthopedic setting as a physical therapist as well as our sports director up in Oswego, New York called Warner Physical Therapy. And I treat kind of all sorts of orthopedic conditions as well as kind of Emphasize bringing in new sports clientele and working with our youth sports clients in our community. So.
2: Cool.
0: Very cool. So you said you graduated just in 2019. Yep. Okay. So you got in kind of right before all of the COVID stuff kind of struck with <laughs> job opportunities and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, it was interesting. I got in right at right at the right time, and I think it was interesting of my first year or so to go through that transition of well now that i'm in the real world what happens when a global pandemic hits versus people who are looking for jobs when a global pandemic hits which was really a different thing to kind of tackle and look at but it was a unique experience and I, I guess I got in at the right time some would say.
0: Right yeah so what I mean going all along with that like I mean you were what maybe a year into your career when the pandemic started?
3: Yeah I was about uh, I think I would started my job in June the year before in 2019 so I was about nine months or so when the pandemic started and really thankful for the company that I worked with because they did everything we possibly could to keep as many people on staff, whether it was working part-time, whether it was treat- making sure that we would go on shifts of who was laid off or whatever it may be. But the most difficult thing was not seeing patients on a daily basis of – knowing that there was people out there that needed physical therapy that weren't able to come in for physical therapy and there weren't people who were able to get elective surgeries anymore. And that was really difficult. And we've kind of seen as things have slowed down a little bit, now we're starting to ramp back up or we're getting more flooded with elective surgeries more than we normally would at this time. Or we're seeing people like, well, I had this go on for six or seven months. I just was afraid to come in and do anything about it
0: sure so did you guys go obviously did you guys go like a lot of telehealth visits or virtual visits how did that work
3: we instituted telehealth and virtual visits but with our style of treatment we're very hands-on in our clinic and it was very difficult for us to do that because i couldn't just give someone an exercise and if they didn't understand it or needed cueing or i wanted to try something manual then We couldn't do that, so we did some telehealth, but for us, we really didn't find it that effective, and our patients really didn't get that much out of it because it's not that form of how we treat in our clinic or how I treat, and I I really missed some of that hands-on interaction throughout that time.
1: For sure, for sure. And going along the same lines, like, how do you think it impacted like the athletes that you work with and like the injury prevention stuff?
3: It made a huge difference with that because we started a training program and a step-down program at our clinic and things like that where we're building up athletes and getting them in, doing a full healthy screen, and we weren't able to do that. And then these athletes weren't training because they weren't going to the gym or they were doing stuff on their own that just wasn't very safe. So I consulted with a couple, gave a couple some exercises and things like that, some workout programs, things I would normally give them, but they weren't there to get that direct corrective experience as i like to call it and i think that really hindered them and especially hindered them once we reinitiated some of those programs after the bulk of covid had died down in our area because then they weren't where they were when we left they weren't where we were when they left off and that really made an impact
0: so um i know you just kind of talked about how you guys do the ramp up period and stuff when you're working with athletes uh, a lot of the sports are kind of starting to come back now have you seen maybe an uptick in injuries since maybe this pandemic has occurred because you know kids weren't getting that proper um, maybe dosing before they went into their sport.
3: Absolutely. We're definitely starting to see an uptick in that. We're starting to see some overuse injuries. We're starting to see things like a shin splint or just sprains or just general aches and pains that athletes wouldn't have normally had, or if they would have had, they wouldn't have been as severe as what they're experiencing now. Like, for example, in our area, football just started recently, and the number of injuries that we're seeing from football are a little bit more than what they would normally be because these kids haven't experienced contact from a contact sport in almost two years since football happened previously. So we're seeing more injuries of that regard than we normally would, for sure. That's
1: interesting. So going along the same line and kind of taking a step back, back to your time at Gannon, you said that you had worked as a strength and conditioning coach while you were a PT uh, student at Gannon, right?
3: Yeah, I did. So I was actually... uh a grad assistant strength conditioning coach, but I was the only strength conditioning coach that we had on staff other than some interns here and there. So I was working quite a bit while going to PT school. I don't know if some of our professors were huge fans of it at times when they were looking at my caseload and workload, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I mean, Gannon Athletics, i that's what got me into PT. I was, again, an athlete in. Going through that coaching aspect and getting that hands-on experience with Division II athletes and high-quality athletes is something that I will never forget and always cherish.
1: What sport did you play again?
3: I played football. I played football for five years there.
1: Oh wow, sweet! How did that impact, like, kind of like the lens you looked at PT school through? Like, did you like always see yourself as more bred for the athletic or the pedigree type population?
3: Uh, so actually, at first I did, yeah. When I was like. I knew kind of out of high school, I wanted to be a PT. That's why I chose Gannon. It was the best fit for me with being a small school, having the opportunity to play football and knowing that I wanted to go be a physical therapist. So I was like orthopedic sports all the way. Absolutely. And then I, when I got through some of the clinical work and stuff and I got a really awesome rotation up in Buffalo at ECMC in an acute care hospital. And I was like, Whoa, I'm going to take a step back, step back here because this is also really awesome and I really had a passion for some of the stuff we were doing there and I was working in a burn unit and a kidney transplant floor, and that was really interesting but ultimately I think I just fell in love with the sports aspect of it and saw gaps that needed to be filled for orthopedic medicine and sports medicine and rehabbing athletes or prehabbing athletes and just training in the right way and in injury prevention because I saw flaws and when I was an athlete and going through the system, and I think that high school population, which is one that I really enjoy working with now, is, some, is a population that is just kind of misunderstood. And I saw that as I looked at how freshmen came into college as college athletes. And I don't think I would have seen that if I wasn't in the strength and conditioning realm.
2: Yeah, because I think, too, with being high school athletes, you know, those kind of injuries and you know toll on their bodies that they take, if they're not cared for, like that's going to impact them down the road too in their general health.
3: Absolutely. And you're starting to see more and more of it with sports specialization now. And that's a topic I'm really passionate about because all these kids are just getting pressured into specializing sports sooner and sooner and sooner. So they're not getting that cross training. They're not teaching their bodies different ways to move and they're getting stuck in the same bad movement habits that they've never learned otherwise. So as someone who works with athletes you have to learn how to train outside of those movement patterns and do more generalized movements that also can still correlate to their sport but also not correlate to their sport at the same time so that way they just live an overall healthier lifestyle if that makes sense Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is it a hard sell um to get athletes to buy into a prevention program before they're injured uh
3: not necessarily it's I would say there's times where it's hard sells. It depends on the athlete. But some of the stuff that we're doing is very unique. And athletes really like when things are unique because they like things that are different. They don't like that cookie cutter program that everyone's doing. So if you can bring something to the table that's a little bit different or a little bit unique to them, they're going to jump all on that. And part of our marketing style is, well, if we can help one person, then that's gonna spread the word to their friends. So you help one person who got injured, and then after they injured, you get them to return to their sport and get even better than where they were prior to injury. That's gonna draw more interest from their friends, from their teammates, from everyone around, and that's kinda of how we help build our program that way too.
1: So is most of the work that you're doing with the athletes then in your clinic, or is it kind of like at their own facilities? Uh,
3: most of it's in our clinic so what we do is i treat normal i say nine to five a little bit different hours but treat normal nine to five where i have general mix of orthopedic patients as well as athletes in there but after hours i have athlete training in our gym so i may stay at our office from five to nine that night or five to eight and train four groups of athletes. I try to keep my groups as small as five. I really don't like going bigger than five. Ideally, I would love to go one-on-one, but we try to keep it between one to five individuals, and we train them for an hour. We run through specific agility movements, strength training movements, stabilization movements, all things that are really going to correlate to them, and then kind of do that now I will go out into the community a little bit and I'll run some sports teams through different types of dynamic warm-ups or injury prevention exercises they can do on a daily basis or if some if I do have a patient who's rehabbing from a broken ankle for example I have a hockey patient right now who I just skated with for the first time granted I played hockey growing up so I know how to skate but I got back on the ice with him the other day and was able to go through drills with him and get his confidence back up well, Grant, we were doing slideboard board stuff and single limb stand stuff before that, but once we got him ready to skate, then I was able to go on the ice with him. So I'll do some stuff like that or take an athlete to a field here and there, but most of it is in our clinic.
1: That's super hands-on. How much do you think your previous athletic experience has played in your ability to help rehab these athletes?
3: Oh, I think it's a huge impact, and I think I really got a good understanding of it by I was a three-sport athlete in high school. I played football, hockey, wow. and baseball, and then I went and played football in college, so I got to see that experience. But then as a strength and conditioning coach, I got to be hands-on with over 20 different sports and see and talk with different coaches, see the recruiting process, see how – athletes were managed and all of that so i think that is i can really correlate to these athletes and they really can kind of relate to me because i know what it takes to be at that level and i've seen what it takes for athletes to be at that level so they kind of respect that and i think i get a little bit more buy-in personally just off experience and that alone which is a really interesting kind of thing so if I can share any wisdom that I have on the process and some of that frustration I mean when you're going through an injury and in rehabbing you're going to go through times of frustration so if you can talk and talk your athletes through that that makes a huge point I think
1: for sure for sure um so is your clinic pretty well equipped then to deal with like the proper? like loading of these higher level athletes because a lot of the pt clinics that i have experienced either working in or shadowing in you see them kind of just having like a set of therabands some exercise balls and some really light weights like how do you go about that yeah
3: so so loading we struggle a little bit with loading i will say that we have a barbell system we have a squat rack and everything but we really i don't put a lot of weight on these athletes because half the time they can't stabilize to do it safely So what I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of single limb stuff, a lot of single arm stuff, a lot of kettlebell movements, really kind of centralizing the weight that way. And my goal is to build the athletes up where I can then teach them proper form and get them to go to the gym on their own from there and train on the right manner. So I will always send athletes if they ask it a workout program or anything, if they know the proper form, if I trust that they have the proper form, great you utilize my resources as best as I can, now you can go out and now you can do it.
1: I now, think that's I, great, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, I think that's great though because I feel like I played sports in high school and you and you get a lot of these almost like volunteer coaches who might not have that experience and then someone like you coming in and giving them that right form and giving them the ability to do things properly is huge.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have up to like 100-pound kettlebells in our gym and stuff like that, so I can always just I mean that can still have someone lift 200 pounds and if you have someone do a single leg sit to stand off a bench with 200 pounds they're gonna get way more out of that than they are with a back squat with poor form or throwing a barbell on with a poor clean form or something like that where you can do a lot with kettlebells and dumbbells and isolating movements and getting single limb in unstable positions to really benefit them just as much so.
0: Wow that's great so you talked a lot about like the uniqueness Is there, I was just wondering, could you give us maybe an example of, in the preventative program, so let's say maybe you have a football player, or a hockey player, or a baseball player, and do you normally, is that unique even to maybe the position they play? So say you have a quarterback versus a middle linebacker, you know, is that kind of, how does that work?
3: Absolutely. It's definitely unique with different, I always say my core lifts are the same, my core movements are the same of what we're doing and things that we make stronger, but my supplementary and accessory lifts and accessory movements, and those are always a little bit different. I run through a little bit of a different screen with all of these athletes, so I'm using I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, the SFMA screen for athletes, uh, selective functional movement assessment. We run through those head to toe. And I'm also using some of Mike Reinholds, who's a PT out of the Massachusetts area, some of his new stabilization stuff and screening mechanisms to screen the athletes from head to toe before they even start getting into our training program, because that's gonna identify specific weaknesses and specific areas of movements that we need to improve with that specific athlete. So I could have a group of five people coming in at the same time, but they each need a specific area that they might not all be the same. So then their first three exercises are going to be the same, but this person's going to go off and do that one. This person's going to go do that one, and kind of go from there. So it's definitely different based on position, but it's also just different based on individual because we're screening all of these athletes from head to toe.
0: That's huge, Chris. Because I know one of the one of the knocks you hear about PT, you know, maybe when someone. So as they go to PT and we did the same thing, every, every treatment, you know, I showed up and we did 10 minutes of heat and then this, this, and this, and everyone in the clinic did the same thing. Kind of that cookie cutter model is what we're all trying to get away from. So I think that's awesome that you really do individualize it and can tailor that to each individual and show them, Hey, you know, if you're going to play defensive back, you're going to have to be able to stop and cut on one leg, right? So yep. in order to do that and not get hurt, Hey, I know your season starts in September and it's March right now, but you know, this is why we're doing it, you know, just to kind of give them that, the why to keep kind of the end game in mind, something that is super important.
3: Absolutely. And one of the things I look at too is, I don't know if this is becoming more and more popular, but when I'm training someone or working with a client or working with a patient and they're looking to get into dynamic activity, I look at what angles the body needs to move in that dynamic activity. So if we can treat angles and not just movements, so if I can treat an offensive lineman who needs to cut side to side, but I can get them in a specific angle of that movement or create a movement similar to a layup for a basketball player that they're going to need that angle at their ankle to jump at, I look at those as well and get into more of the biomechanical aspect of it and create movements that are a little bit similar to that, but maybe a little bit different to kind of get them to adapt to that region.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, So to switch gears a little bit, um, I know you mentioned that you had like an acute care rotation while you were in grad school. Um, How did your clinical experiences in grad school kind of help shape the therapist that you are today?
3: Yeah, I think my clinical rotations just kind of made me more well-rounded, but also made me realize like what I wanted to do and how I wanted to treat. I worked at my first my first clinical rotation was a very exercise-based clinic with not very, very much manual therapy. And I was kind of always wanting a little bit more and a little bit more of that. And then I did a skilled nursing facility and I kind of realized that, that I could do that. It just wasn't for me. I just, I missed a little bit of a challenge and I just, it wasn't really what piqued my interest. And I had a great experience, but it just didn't really draw my attention to really be invested on and then I love my acute care rotation because I felt like then I learned how to handle different wounds and different wound care and different people with different comorbidities and I think that's huge even in the outpatient setting to know the different comorbidities or where a person comes from or where their journey started versus where they're going to and when you finally see them if you are in an outpatient setting but one of my biggest clinical rotations was my fourth and final rotation, which was actually in Erie. It was at a UPMC f- facility with another Gannon grad, Ryan Brown. He was very McKenzie certified, and I had a great experience with him. And he was awesome. And I learned a ton from him. But the best thing about that was that he challenged me with every single day that I walked in there. He would ask me, why am I doing it? What's the reasoning? Where's your go? Where are you going? What's your plan? And what do you think it is? And then you just say, why, why, why? Which was awesome, because then I kind of learned and it made me really develop that critical thinking into now realizing how I develop my own treatment pattern and why am I doing this? What's the reasoning for this person to get that specific exercise? And why is their diagnosis presenting the way it is? So that was really helpful for me. And I think that one really shaped kind of who i am as a practitioner a
0: little bit too chris you just got me pumped up because ryan is actually my ci this summer so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to give him a shout out and let him listen to this just because you threw that plug (laughs) in there for him so now you got me excited
3: welcome to the club Get ready for a lot of questions (laughs) a lot of questions but a great experience (laughs) i'm gonna have
0: to prepare for that now a little nervous not gonna lie
3: oh you got it you'll be good ce1 right that's right yeah, you will be fine. I mean, I had it for CE4, so we had to really make sure I was ready for it. And we were going to – he was kind of building me up because as I was going through it, I was also going through some residency interviews because I did look at some sports residency routes and had some interviews for that for – where I actually got to go to some site visits and in some of the final interviews and stuff. And he wanted to make sure that if he was putting his name on – my resume as a reference that I was really ready for that, and I couldn't be more thankful. So, you'll, you'll have a
0: blast with that. Oh, I can't wait. So, that's interesting you mentioned residencies. We interviewed um, Pete Ruby a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And he mentioned that he did a residency out at Pitt. So, what maybe made you decide not to go the residency route? Was there a specific reason?
3: I mean, the reason was I was one of the finalists and just didn't get it. I had a couple great looks. I had a couple great interviews. It was a great experience. And I think everything happens for a reason. I'm really happy where I am now. But I got to go out. I got to meet with some of the best sports PTs in the world and got different experiences. And the interview process is challenging. It's really difficult. There's not a lot of PTs out there that do a sports residency and kind of go through that channel. There's only so many a year. So it's it really just came down to... That, that wasn't meant for me at the time and I've learned from it and kind of have developed my own pattern and I've gotten some my own mentors along the way but it was just it just wasn't meant to be but it was a great experience to even go through that interview process.
0: Yeah that's great because I know Dave Um, or he was Dave you just recently started thinking about doing a sports residency right after the interview with Pete.
1: Yeah so we're in the stage of our Education now where we're deciding on our electives for our third year and I know you have to have research credits for like a residency or it's highly favored in that case. So yeah, we're all kind of trying to figure out what we want to do.
3: Yeah, and I th- I think just have making sure as well-rounded as possible. I mean, I I didn't have the research credits, and I didn't do as much of that end, but I did have the hands-on experience, which I think drew a lot of interest in me specifically with being a strength and conditioning coach and stuff. But there's people like it if it's what you want to do, go for it and shoot for the stars. I mean, the teachers were super helpful with all of it. I really got some great experience life lessons just advice on the whole process and i think it was ultimately it wouldn't change it for the world for going through that so
1: absolutely so are you like so you have your cscs then
3: yeah so i have my cscs
1: interesting okay cool so that was another thing that i was thinking about doing as well um and for obviously our listeners too what do you think like is Cause like there's almost this conundrum, right? Like we call ourselves the movement experts, but then we go and we get like something like a CSCS just to have that degree saying that we could work with strength and conditioning athletes. Right? Like, do you yeah. think that it's a good idea for physical therapists to go and get that secondary type of degree?
3: Go back and forth on this one a lot. I'm not going to lie. And this may be controversial in the PT world. I'm not really sure because I had my CSCS before I even started PT school I had it because of my master's program at Gannon where I started to work with athletes. I got it because I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach while I was in PT school. I got it for that purpose. If it was probably just through PT school, I don't know if I would have gotten it because I don't know how much it really benefits me on a day-to-day basis, if I'm not going to lie. Like, I think it benefited me more when I was a strength and conditioning coach for sure, but we learn so much as PTs to be movement specialists that – You should know what's on the CSCS test is that is my main point. Like any PT who makes it through PT school should be able to pass the CSCS test because our curriculum just is a lot more in depth with movement specialties. Now to take that test, you have to make sure, you know, all of their verbiage and terminology and periodizations and things like that, which is great if you're going to program for actual athletes and sports teams. But if you're going to work one-on-one with an athlete and just rehabbing and maybe some prehab or preventive stabilization stuff then eh, I don't know I go back and forth on this one a lot but I think it definitely benefited me for previous before PT and it does benefit you on a resume because it shows some different unique skills that you went out and did along the way too so I go back and forth on it I'm not gonna
2: lie no for sure it makes sense right because I think you know like you said we all have that kind of education I think You know, you don't have to be certified in certain specialties to treat those patients, you know, because we were all equipped with those skills in PT school or with CEUs and all that, so...
3: Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm always trying to learn with CEUs and stuff. Like I said, I've taken a couple different courses already and trying to just figure out the best thing that works for me. And every time I do that, I just try to add another tool to my tool belt. Like I say, my CSCS is just one tool in on the tool belt that I can pull some stuff from. But so is these six other things that I've already done. And maybe I learned something from my coworker one day or a different PT or a classmate that I went to school with who sent me a video of something they were doing or something neat and I can just be like hey what is that can you talk to me about that and then I go read up on it so it's just all about adding those tools to the tool belt for sure.
1: Kind of going along the same lines too I know you had mentioned earlier that athletes like to be unique in that in your work with them you have like a set of kind of like core movements but that otherwise you're trying to go this unique route with each athlete um as like new practitioners you know or you know upcoming graduate students (laughs) do you have any advice for us in like in in terms of developing that unique skill set and developing those unique exercises because a lot of what we learn is is more so the core stuff
3: yeah absolutely and i think i will say a lot of it comes from experience but Going back on what I just said is just asking questions when you're in your clinicals, asking questions, trying to find there's great social media is great for this. Now of seeing all these things on social media and Instagram, all these people who are PTs and putting stuff out there, but don't just go off what they post, see what they post, find it, start messing with it on your own is really what I do. I'm just trying to get as much information in as possible. And then I'm client A in reality because I'm going to try it on myself first before I have any athlete do it or anything in there and I'm going to say "Eh, I don't like how that feels or I'm going to tweak it this way or tweak it that way and then create you create your skill set from there and it it never should be this is my skill set and that should be it. It should be ever expanding. You should always be trying to learn something new every day or take something new into it every day because if you keep it at that same level, those athletes are going to get bored. You're just not going to be as bringing as much new information to them as possible, but also making sure you stay true to your core is probably my biggest thing.
0: I think that's what something you just said really just struck me um, that you try the exercises before you give them to athletes. And that's something that, you know, I have, I've worked as a tech and stuff like in clinics and, you know, I'd have them do exercise A, B or whatever. And maybe I've never even done it before. Cause maybe it's more of a simple exercise, like a total knee extension or terminal knee yep. extension, something like that. And I think mentioning, like you said, if you do it and know exactly what you should expect and exactly what to feel, I think that's huge. And and going along with building that skill set, do you think that maybe, and I don't know, I'm just kind of. I'm just brainstorming here. Do you think maybe that a part of why a lot of therapists may fall into this kind of just smaller window of skills is that they don't maybe exercise as much as they should via busy schedules or whatever whatever it else may be. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe they're afraid to prescribe something that they haven't done or they aren't willing to try out. Absolutely, I think that could
3: definitely be some of it. I mean don't get me wrong, there's things where I'm like, I can't do this, like, I am not <laughs> an athlete anymore, I have kind of given that life off, I can't do this, so I'm like, I'll try it, and I'll be like, this is not for me, I don't know why, <laughs> but but then I kind of take it to a patient, I'll be like, hey, I tried this, I can't do it, so I have the evidence of what, the, like, the, Image was or what the movement was, and kind of be like, let's try this together to see. And I can kind of cue you on that because they probably have better body awareness than I do. They probably have that better activation or adjustments where I can be like, hey, try tweaking this or tell me what you feel. And then I'm, but I'm also going to go home and work on that because I want, I'm, I'm competitive. I want to do that. <laughs> I want to be able to show them that I can still do things. But <laughs> I think it sometimes it just could be that fear of not being able to do it or not understanding what your skill set is but it's okay to admit that you can't do things we're not going to be these high level athletes anymore or as you get older you kind of lose some of that skill set which is okay so take that on and admit it but also tell your athlete well this is what i'm trying to get you to do because they may understand it just by you describing it or at least you showing it in a different manner going that going forward
0: sure yeah i think that's big like I know, I don't know, I've had a discussion with a couple of my buddies that are PTs and everything, and they were kind of saying, you know, they stay motivated to exercise every day because they felt that if they were, you know, constantly preaching exercise to patients and then they weren't going to do it, that that would just make them look hypocritical. So I think it really makes, it gives you a lot more weight to the things you say. If you maybe, a patient comes in and you look like you're in shape or you show him that you can do... The exercise. I think that's just, I think it's really great. And it's an interesting topic. I think that could be looked at further and really, really explored.
3: Absolutely. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all there.
0: Okay. Let's switch, let's switch gears just a little bit. So, all right. So I don't know if we explained exactly where we are in the curriculum, but we're in year two semester, what is it? Semester six, five. five or six. We basically have a year left okay. and our first clinic got washed because of COVID. And I think all of us are just kind of, we're nervous about clinic, but I know personally, I'm also just nervous about the whole job seeking process that's going to be coming up in a year and just like the readiness of it. So how did you kind did you feel when it was time to go out there and look for jobs? Did you feel like you were prepared to do that successfully? And then when you first started in your position now, did you feel comfortable or prepared or did it take you a little while before you kind of got a few patients under your belt and then kind of got in a rhythm?
3: Yeah, so I was a little unique scenario because I felt like I was prepared for the job searching process because I started the residency search process so much earlier. So I had kind of already gone through some of those hard interviews that by the time I started looking for jobs, I was like, you know, I th- this isn't as bad as what I just went through. So I think, which made me feel a lot more comfortable, but honestly, as a new practitioner, you're always gonna have some doubts or like ah, is this right do i it's just trusting yourself and learning you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna give someone an exercise that may not work for them or may not do this you're gonna have to adapt and adjust and you just gotta learn and roll with it and ask questions i mean i ask my coworkers and people who have been pts much longer than me questions every day and i definitely felt like i i was prepared like i knew what i was talking about but it's also scary when you're prescribing exercise or prescribing interventions for the first time on your own with a patient from start to finish without someone looking over your shoulder as a clinical instructor, or as a CI looking over your shoulder. it's It can be scary at times, but you just learn and adapt and you build that confidence. And then once you do, you just kind of keep going and going and going, but you never want to get complacent with that either. So I think, I mean, Gannon does a great job of getting you ready with all your interventions and making sure that you know everything. and then But then you get in the field and you're like, where do i go from here and you just have to kind of figure it out and roll with the punches i think but i definitely i definitely felt ready i would say i felt like 90% ready was where i felt but that last like 10 15% you just kind of have to figure it out and roll with it and trust your patients and trust your coworkers, and rely on the people around you and have I'm I was fortunate enough I had a great PTA who I started with who we kind of do a team set up here so the my PTA was great to help out she's like hey I've seen this I've seen this or kind of throw ideas out there and you just trust your coworkers and kind of go with it
2: right And I think it's so like such a big part of our profession is that we're going to be learning for the rest of our careers and that Absolutely. starts day one um. So whether it's through continuing ed courses, whether it's through our coworkers, individuals in other disciplines like research, whatever it is, it's so important to remember. Like you're, you're they're always gonna have to kind of step up your game because there's more coming out and research and all that.
3: I mean, absolutely. I mean, I still am learning today. Like, there's patients who might have a surgery that I've never seen before. I'm in a smaller area. So they might have done a surgery you've never seen before. Or maybe you're getting a new doctor that just moved into town who does a different protocol than you've never seen before for a surgery. So you kind of have to adapt that way where you're learning from that perspective. And guess what? If you don't know, you just go and start reading on it. You just go researching. You start call. you ask people around and call and ask people that have a little bit more experience and then that you learn something that day for sure.
0: That's fantastic. Now, How about to dig into the job search process just a little bit deeper. So you ended up in New York. So were there a lot of places you applied to? Were they all kind of centered around sports-based? Or did you apply to some other places, maybe in some other settings as well, coming out of school?
3: Honestly, I was trying to get a job. <laughs> <Sure. So laughs> I, I'm, I'm as with much you, as man. Knew, as much as I wanted to do sports stuff, I kind of always... That I'd bet on myself and wherever I'd went, I would try to grow that in some way, whether it was outside of my clinic, whether it was through my clinic. So I didn't really worry about that as much. So I had a couple unique opportunities. I was looking to stay in that northeast kind of region where I end up taking a job back where I'm from in a place where I was a PT tech like yourself, like you just said. So I took. It was a, it was the best experience for me. But I applied to a couple jobs in Buffalo. I applied to a couple jobs in Erie, Ohio. So I kind of wanted to stay in that Northeast region. I really liked that area. It's where I grew up, and I ended up just finding the right job that ended up being. A place that knew who I was, but also knew the skill set that they were gonna be able to get with some of the sports experience. So, as much as creating as you can put on a resume, it's always tough because a resume can say whatever it wants. You kind of just have to put yourself out there and really make sure that they understand the experience and the skill set that you bring to the table. And even as a new grad, everyone has some experience or some skill set. You just have to figure out how to make yours special and how to get it to stand out. Whether it be a life experience that you went through, whether it be a clinical experience that you went through, all of those things can make you stand out in a different way. It's just making you experience how can you stand out specifically to that job that you're
2: looking for.
0: That's awesome. Chris, you're, you're amazing because you just answered my next question. It was going to be how you <laughs> kind of separate yourself. And, you know, you talked about betting on yourself, which I love. That's like one of my – I'm a big quote guy. Everyone that's yeah, listening absolutely. probably I knows. I love that. I probably love that. gets me so too, annoying with it but I'm a huge quote guy. And that's one. It's like, all over. I'll bet on myself all day long. Right. But I think it's, it's hard sometimes to portray that to other people without sounding cocky and arrogant. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a fine line on how you, Hey, like, I know I'm going to be great here, but I don't want to come into this, like a 25 year old new grad telling you that I'm going to change the world. And you know what I mean? Cause every, everyone wants to say that. Yeah. So I just, I think that was really, really awesome that you kind of just mentioned the separating yourself and talking about experiences and just doing that in that, in that sense.
2: Yeah. And Absolutely. I, th- I think as long as you have, you know, the proof to back it up, you know, there's no problem being confident and, you know, showing these people that like you are right for the job. Sure. and That's,
0: that's got to help with patience too. I mean, I know we've had a lot of discussions cause we have a little, um, pro bono clinic was it open when you were here still
3: yeah it was it was it was open there it started probably a few maybe a year or two before I started so it was open when throughout my clinic throughout my, uh, my three years there so
0: okay yeah and we got a professor uh, professor john if you're hearing this big shouts to you you're great um <laughs> he he just always talks about kind of the way you carry yourself around patients so the discussions you have with them and the confidence that you portray and how that makes such a profound difference like one of his favorite things is like honestly everything works as long as you get the patient to believe that it works you know well, and getting that i
3: couldn't agree more a thousand percent i mean if there was one specific intervention that worked with every single diagnosis or everything everyone would do it right but that's the great thing about pt is because there's a thousand different ways to do everything and guess what if you get your patient to buy in that's really what matters so it's kind of learning your patient we talk about matching empathy levels and matching tone levels where you don't want if you have someone who comes in and they're just real quiet don't really want to talk much and you don't you're not going to come in all loud and boisterous and all like well i know this 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 and this and it's kind of matching that tone level and becoming more empathetic with them and kind of trying to mirror yourself to there and i'm a loud individual so that's not the easiest thing for me <laughs> (laughs) to do so but it's also so it's kind of knowing when to really spew i say knowing when to really spew the pure medicine versus knowing when to hit it with just well compassion we're gonna we're gonna do this and kind of that fine line and matching that and changing it to each individual patient but if you get them to buy in and you just listen that is huge and will change your outcomes in your clinical setting for sure
0: that's unreal. That's crazy, Chris. I love that because like, I know one of my big things is I'm very just upbeat all the time and I've, I've struggled to turn it off. So, and I know like sometimes you mentioned like if somebody comes in, maybe they're chronic back pain, right? They've had it for 10 years. They're not the happiest person. They don't want it. They might not want to see me all bubbly telling them, you know, hey, this is great. Let's do this. Boom, boom, boom. They might just want somebody, a clinician that actually comes in and listens to the problems they have and maybe what I think is powerful about PTs is how it's affecting them other than just the pain, right? Because they may go into PCP, pain management, whatever it is. And a lot of it is just centered on pain and the discomfort they're feeling, but maybe not so much about how that's affecting other areas of their life, whether it's work, being a parent, whatever it may be. So I think that that's a big opportunity for us to kind of sit back and be the ear that people need sometimes and really just focus it on how do we get you to participate in life better?
3: Exactly, I don't talk about pain. Like, I try to limit pain. We all, our entire clinic does, our entire clinic tries to eliminate, uh, eliminate the term pain and really at all costs, and sometimes you have to focus on pain and things like that, but we talk about movement. We talk about healthy movement, proper movement, functional movement versus dysfunctional movement we really don't try to focus on pain because if you just keep asking the person about is this painful how much how much pain is this how does this feel does this hurt well then they're going to just perseverate on the pain and they're not going to perseverate on well your motion's gotten this much better your movement looks this much better and kind of going from there so i don't disagree with that yeah at
1: all All right, Chris, so I know you got to go soon, but I do have one more question for you. Absolutely. What's up? So kind of along the same topic too, when you work with athletes who are maybe post-injury, do you have any role with them in terms of like their psychological return to the sport in addition to their athletic turn to the sport? And can you explain that?
3: Oh, yeah, that's psychological return to sport is something that is the most unaddressed piece in probably all of athletics I would say I wish I knew more about it I can kind of only cope with the the athletes as much as I have experience as much as I've experienced with other athletes things like that try to build their confidence back up I have tried to look into some different things with life coaching things like that through uh, one of the owners of our clinic, she's, real, she's a PT as well. She's very big into life coaching. She's certified. So I ask her for advice on things. If it's something that's way out of my wheelhouse, I try to recommend them to go somewhere, talk some, to someone who's much more qualified than I am. But it is a huge topic that really is never addressed all these kids, the psychological component of returning from injury or rehabbing from injury or the struggles and the ups and downs. If you have someone that's recovering from an ACL injury, that's nine months to a year of just ups and downs of not doing what you love and enjoy, not being able to go out and do things with friends without pain or discomfort or being worried to have your crutches or things like that. So it's really something that I wish I knew more about and i'm trying to educate myself more about because i want to be able to provide that for my athletes as much as
1: possible absolutely man that goes right along with what you were talking about about being a lifelong learner
2: so (laughs) trying (laughs) (laughs) all right so before we wrap up do you have any parting words of wisdom for us
3: (laughs) oh uh any parting words of wisdom is Listen to your professors as even though at times you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> because I know I gave them a couple of blank stares at times. It was just like, I have no idea how this is going to correlate to my primary practice or what I'm going to do. But they weren't wrong. There's definitely things that I correlate from life or just different things that we talked about. And it's not this it's that or guess what it really does depend as much as they say that all the time and you hate hearing it and you just want to never hear it again when you leave that school it really does depend on the scenario and whatnot so that's really just listen to them because they do really have a great perspective and they've been doing it for a long time and they're it's very helpful i will say they help make the transition to the real world a lot easier and are always there if you have questions i know i've reached out to a couple of them since i've graduated and they've been extremely helpful so that's my parting advice and just always just keep on learning i guess
1: there you go guys trust in your professors and bet on yourself thank you chris
3: (laughs) absolutely thanks for having me guys
0: thanks chris have a good one
3: you too
0: all right that wraps up another week of tales from the plinth we want to give a big thank you to chris pike for being on the show we really appreciate it we also want to give a big shout out to all of our listeners we appreciate you guys more than you know If there's any way that we can help make the show better, please give us some feedback. We'd really appreciate that. And stay tuned for next week's episode, which is with home health physical therapist Matt Bauer. Thank you.